if I've not had a chance to meet you yet, I'm Al and I'm uh, the senior pastor here as well as one of the elders and we are absolutely thrilled that you are worshiping with us whether you are here in the building or whether you are worshiping online and I sound like a broken record but it's nice today to see a family come in the door that I hadn't seen in a while and a brand new little baby and all is well with the world and uh, we are thrilled that each of you are here worshiping with us. I would encourage you that if you're worshiping at home, if you're doing so for medical reasons, keep doing it. We are glad to offer this as an option for you. However, if you're doing it out of convenience sake, dude, we really, I don't know why I said dude, but I did. We would really love for you to be back in the building and worship with us. Uh, we love you dearly, and we are glad that you're a part of our church body. We are in the middle of a, oh, let me say one other thing real quick. We want to be praying for our, our youth and our leaders. They're at Mission Arlington this week. Uh, they're probably going to be sweating a little bit this week. They're going to be working with Rainbow Express, which is Mission Arlington's uh, backyard Bible clubs, which will be meeting in apartment complexes all over the city of Arlington. And so be praying for our students, be praying for our leaders. Uh, I heard from my daughters this morning since it's Father's Day, and so it's good to hear uh, their voices, and they're alive and well. And, uh, and so be praying for all of them. It's going to be a great week. I'm looking forward to see what God is going to do through their ministry there. All right, let's go ahead and open our Bibles to the book of Romans. We are uh, finishing up a uh, three-part series on the book of Romans called Righteousness for the Unrighteous. And the reason we're doing only three weeks is because we're actually walking through the Bible together as a church family. We're calling this Foundations New Testament. And, and if you don't have a reading guide to know where we're at, you can actually look at the bottom of your worship guide. And at the bottom of the sermon notes, it says that we're finishing up Romans this week, uh, 14 and 16, and then we'll jump over to Acts chapters 20 and 21. If you need a year-long reading guide so you know where we're at, you can pick one up on the little rack out in the hallway so that you can be along for the ride as we read through Scripture together. I don't know if I've ever told you this before or not, but I think maybe I have. I am from the best decade ever, from the 80s. Like, I wasn't born in the 80s, but I was a teenager in those years, and the 80s was the best decade ever, right? Somebody told me the other day, Friends don't tell friends that 1980 was 41 years ago. That is scary. But somebody's like, oh my goodness, has it really been that long? Uh, so in the 80s, there was this particular show that I would watch some. Uh, maybe you've heard of it. It's called Dukes of Hazard, And uh, there was a, a, a character on there uh, named Roscoe Picoltrain. Y'all remember him? He would get excited and he would get giddy as he was chasing them Duke boys, and he always would say that he was in hot pursuit. The reality is all of us are giddy about things. All of us are excited about things. All of us are in pursuit of things. The question is, are we giddy? Are we excited? Are we zealous? Are we after the right things? And so on your sermon notes, you may see the title there is Misdirected Zeal. Because all too often, we have our focus on the wrong thing. In Romans chapter 9, beginning in verse 30, we're going to read some verses here. We're going to see what Paul, the Apostle Paul, says as he clarifies the things that we should and should not pursue. Where's our focus supposed to be? We're going to be picking up in the middle of a very difficult chapter of Scripture. As Paul has been talking about his fellow 
Jewish Israelites, the, the, his fellow Israelites that, that have not trusted in Jesus. And what does that mean? And, and he's kind of picking up the middle of that story as we look at Romans chapter 9, verse 30. Here's what it says. If you've got a Bible, open it. If you don't have a Bible, there should be a Bible in a chair underneath you, around you, that you can use and even take home if you'd like a Bible. It says, what shall we say then? That Gentiles who did not pursue, there's that word pursue, it's going to be in here three or four times, that Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness have attained it. That is a righteousness that is by faith, but that Israel who pursued a law that would lead to righteousness did not succeed in reaching that law. Why? Because they did not pursue it by faith, but as if it were based on works. They have stumbled over the stumbling stone, as it is written. Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone of stumbling, and a rock of offense, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. Then down in chapter 10, brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them, meaning the Israelites, is that they may be saved. For I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. In the New Living Translation, it says, but a misdirected zeal. Verse 3, for being ignorant of the righteousness of God and seeking to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. Here's what's going on. Paul says that in a pursuit of a law to receive righteousness, the Israelites were missing the boat. The Israelites thought, hey, if we'll pursue this law, if we'll obey this law, if we'll become righteous by following this law, then we will be good to go. And Paul says it's a misdirected hope that they have. You see, the Jews were zealous. The Jews had a huge desire to obey God's word. And it was their understanding that if they followed the law, that would make them righteous. Paul completely understood what it meant to be a zealous Jew. Consider this verse. Back in Galatians chapter 1, verses 13 and 14, he describes himself and he says, For, Paul says, you have heard of my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. You remember before Paul became a Christian, he was a persecutor of the church. And, and here's why. He says in verse 14, And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people, so extremely zealous was I for the, for the traditions of my fathers. Paul says, I can relate. I know what it's like to be so zealous for God that I'm going down the wrong path. And what he says in Romans 9 is that his fellow Israelites were going down the wrong path, that they had a desire or a zeal or a pursuit for God but they were missing it all together. So I've used two words that we don't necessarily use all the time. We probably don't use zeal quite a bit, and we don't always use the word pursuit. So what does the word zealous or zeal mean, and what does pursue mean? To be zealous for something is to have dedication or to have enthusiasm or commitment for something. To pursue something is to actually follow zealously, to have an intense effort and have a definite purpose for something. And Paul is saying that the 
Israelites had a pursuit or a desire or a commitment to obey the law. And why did they have that commitment? Because they felt like that would make them right with God. So this morning, I would like to see a couple of things that people, both Israelites and Gentiles, that you and I are prone to pursue that are actually the wrong pursuits. And you'll see it there in your sermon notes. The first one says this. Some pursue their desires. Whenever I think about pursuing our desires, first of all, that involves an outright sinful desire much of the time. It's this idea of if it feels good, do it. If I want to pursue this thing, by golly, I'm going to do this thing. If you go back to Romans chapter 1, you'll see that Paul unpacks what it looks like for people to pursue sin. To pursue their own selfish desires, their own sinful pleasures. Romans chapter 1, beginning in verse 28, I'm going to read through the chapter. Listen to all the sins he lists here. It says, and since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. They were filled with all manners of unrighteousness. What kind of unrighteousness? Evil, covetousness, malice. They're full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness, gossip, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil. That's pretty, pretty uh, big task to invent evil. Inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Though they knew God's righteous decree, that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. Some people, back then and today, are in a pursuit for sinful desires. As I walk through these, don't just say, yeah, some people do that. Rather say, oh my goodness, is there are times in my life where I'm pursuing the wrong things? So evaluate your life. Are you pursuing sinful desires? Here's what James tells us in chapter 1, verses 14 and 15 about desire. He says, but each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth the death. So sinful desires lead to sin, which lead to death. That's the wrong pursuit altogether. But all too often... We pursue that. Is there sin in your life that you need to stop pursuing? Did you even see that in Romans chapter 1, one of the sins that it said was disobedience to parents? So if you say, I don't have any sins I need to stop pursuing, don't just think of the big sins. Think of all of the sin that you may be committing that may seem minor and small, but it is not minor and small. So some people give in to a desire to pursue desires that are sinful. Another aspect of pursuing desires, which is also sinful but doesn't seem as obvious to us, are some of the selfish desires that we have. Desires about me and my and things that I want that aren't necessarily automatically sinful. Let me list one of those for you. Hobbies. If we're not careful, we can pursue a hobby so much that it leads us down the wrong path because we spend too much time, too much energy, too much focus, too much money, too much effort for our hobbies, and it has swallowed up everything about us. 
Another selfish desire could be a selfish desire to win or succeed. You're like, who doesn't want to win? But my question is, how far does that drive you? Is the desire for success, the desire for winning, cause you where you automatically always think you are right about every topic under the sun? All too often, whenever we engage with someone, it's not just our opinions, it's, by golly, i got to be right on this. And when it comes to success, sometimes it's success at all costs. Is that what we should be about? One other aspect of pursuing our desires pertains to politics and ideologies. All too often, we, even as followers of Jesus, become so consumed with politics and ideologies that we forget the things that we should be about the most. I was having breakfast this week with one of our church members, one of my friends, and as I was talking with him, he said, you know what? I care about what happens in D.C., but I really need to care about what happens in my home, what happens at my workplace, what happens in my circles of influence, because what happens in D.C. doesn't really matter if I'm not making an impact here locally. Guys and gals, it's time for us to stop being obsessed with things that we care so desperately about, but it takes our focus off of Jesus. So some of us maybe are pursuing our desires. Look at the second point. Some of us may be pursuing religion. That's a wrong pursuit. You're like, dude, this is, I don't know why I said the word dude second time for this service. <sighs> I don't know. Anyway, anyway. So you're like, this is a religious service, right? We're a church. Like, what are you saying stop pursuing religion? Let me clarify what I mean by that, Okay. Let's begin by looking at the Jews first. The, the Israelites, in this account, in Romans chapter 9, we see that Jews, look down in verse 31, Jews thought that righteousness came through their obedience to the law. It says they were pursuing a law that would lead to righteousness, but they didn't actually succeed in reaching that law. The Jews thought religion, following a system of beliefs, to the T, would make them righteous before God, but the reality is they weren't following it, much less to the T. You see, the, real, the Israelites, look at the end of verse 32, they made their pursuit of righteousness about works, what they could do for God to get him to love them. It says that it was based on works in verse 32. Then look at verse 3 in chapter 10. In verse 3, it says that they were working or trying to establish their own righteousness. It is impossible for us to have our own righteousness. We can't work hard enough to become righteous. But the Jews in this setting thought that's what it was all about. They tried so hard to get to God with their own efforts, and they failed. Look at verse 2. Paul says in verse 2 that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. What he's saying is they had a passion for God and things of God, and they didn't even know him. Verse 33 quotes a passage out of Isaiah chapter 26. In verse 33, it says, 
God says, I'm laying in Zion a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. Whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. What he's saying is that Jesus is this stone, that Jesus the Messiah was right there for the people to see, and they couldn't see him, and it says they stumbled over him. They were pursuing a religion to the point that they missed out who that religion was all about, and that is Jesus Christ the Messiah. We see in verses 3 and 4, at the end of 3, it says they did not submit to God's righteousness. They didn't understand in verse 4 that Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. We see that righteousness only comes by submitting to Jesus, but they missed out on Jesus entirely. So instead of being righteous, it says they were actually ignorant of righteousness. He wasn't calling them dumb. He wasn't calling them stupid. But what he was saying is that Jesus is the one that brings righteousness. You and I can't earn our righteousness. The only righteousness we have is the righteousness of Jesus that's placed upon us whenever we place our faith and our trust in Jesus Christ and in him alone. And because the Jews had stumbled over Jesus, not even seeing him as the Messiah, they were ignorant of the righteousness that they thought they were pursuing. You see, zeal in and of itself is not enough. Zeal in and of itself is empty. Paul says they were zealous for God, but they had no knowledge of him. You and I can have all the enthusiasm about something, and it won't make a difference. If you don't believe me, come in my office sometime. As Diana, my administrative assistant, will point out, sometimes I don't have enough Jesus in there because I have too much cowboys gear in there. And I have a zealous love for the Cowboys, but for 25 years, they've not made the Super Bowl, and it doesn't matter how loud I cheer, it doesn't matter how much I believe they can do it, it doesn't matter, they aren't doing it. And the Jews were doing the same thing. They had a love for the things of God, and they felt like if we'll obey this law, then it'll make us right with him, but it was an empty zealousness. Because religion, in and of itself, is a shell that is broken, that does not bring salvation. To be zealous about religion is simply to be zealous about a system of religious attitudes or beliefs or practices. The Jewish people were following all of those practices. And Paul says, yet they were ignorant of where salvation really comes from. I know what you may be thinking, well... I'm not Jewish. How does this apply to me? Just like the Jews pursued a religion, you and I, if we're not careful, can make Christianity all about a religion and a belief system and actions and activities. And we could be going through the motions to such a degree that we don't even know Jesus. If you don't believe me, consider what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 7. In Matthew chapter 7, verses 21 through 23, some of the most chilling uh, verses in the world are right here. Matthew chapter 7, verses 21 through 23, all of these are the words of Jesus. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. 
On that day, many will say, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? Did we not cast out demons in your name? Did we not do mighty works in your name? Were we not religious enough? I added that little bit. He didn't say that. And then will I, Jesus say, declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. So this morning, my question to you is, are you pursuing religion? I know what you may be thinking, Alan, I know, like, no, I'm here, I'm worshiping. Will you sing about Jesus a minute ago? Did you not hear me sing about Jesus? Did you not see me take the Lord's Supper? Did you not understand that I'm following Jesus? But the reality is the people who are relying on religion, that are pursuing religion, are completely oblivious to the fact that they are relying on religion. Because Satan has a way to blind us and make us think that, hey, I'm following this religious system, so I must be good with God. But just as Paul says, the, the pursuit of the law, the pursuit of religion, the pursuit of religious activities are not, is not enough. We need a relationship with Jesus Christ. Here's some ways that you and I may be guilty of pursuing religion. I've got three specific ways I want to share with you. First of all, some of us, we may have a pursuit for Bible knowledge and depth, but we have no desire to really know the God of the Bible. See, you and I could be experts of this Bible. We could memorize it. We could go to Bible study after Bible study. We could, we could know all the ins and outs we could know all of the historical facts of the scripture but the purpose for this bible is not for us to gain knowledge instead the purpose of this bible is for us to understand who jesus is so that we can be in proper relationship with him and not simply obey and follow a book now i want you to hear what i said and didn't say there i'm not saying the bible is not important I definitely believe the Bible is the inerrant, infallible word of God. But if it doesn't drive us to a pursuit of Jesus, then it's an empty pursuit. Some of the people in my life that know the Bible better uh, than any people I know are not even Christians. Some of the people that are in my life that know the Bible better than a lot of Christians are some of my Muslim friends that know it better than some of us as Christians. Knowing the Bible doesn't make us right with God. Knowing the God of the Bible is what makes us right with him. So we can be guilty of pursuing religion by just pursuing biblical knowledge. Another way, and this may sound a little scary at first, but listen to it anyway. We can pursue religion by pursuing being a Christian nation. And what I mean by that is if we're not careful, if we focus so much on being a Christian nation, if we're not careful, we are only focused on the cultural aspect of Christianity. Instead, we should be a nation that is impacted by Christian principles instead of identifying ourselves as simply a Christian nation. What we're after is a relationship with Jesus Christ. And if we're not careful, we can make it all about being a good little American with good Judeo-Christian morals, when in reality, we should be caught up in a love for Jesus and not simply cultural Christianity. Another aspect of pursuing religion is, if we're not careful, we can kind of be check-the-box Christians. 
I, I know I've shown uh, an image on the screen before. I don't have it ready today. But back in the day when I was growing up in my Baptist church in Commerce, Texas, there was uh, an envelope that we would have. And on the envelope, you would check the boxes, literally. And so whenever you gave your offering or didn't give your offering, you would put on there, uh, brought my Bible, uh, read my Bible, uh, went to Sunday school, uh, went to worship, uh, uh, talked to my neighbor, you know, and all these check marks. I'm not saying those things are bad in and of themselves, but if all I'm doing is checking off the box, then am I truly pursuing Jesus or am I simply pursuing a religion? While all these things may be good, and they are, we can actually substituting them for God. And we end up pursuing religion. You can be zealous for the Bible. You can be zealous for church programs. You can be zealous for church events. You can be zealous for fellowship in your church family. And you can still miss out on the Jesus that this is all about. Don't be like the folks that... That, that, that Paul described where we trip over the stumbling stone of Jesus, but instead let's trust in him. I said a moment ago, just understanding the Bible is not enough. We need to know the God behind the Bible. For instance, consider this verse. James chapter 2, verse 19. Here, here's what James says about, about uh, the demons. It says, you believe that God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe and they shudder. So a belief or acknowledgement or, a, or, or an understanding that God is real is not enough. It's not about a religion, it's about a relationship. So instead of pursuing our sinful desires, instead of pursuing the uh, religion, let's pursue Christ instead. That's on your sermon notes as well. Pursue Christ instead. You see, the Jews were pursuing the law so hard that they actually missed Jesus Christ. And so Paul slows down and says, don't miss Christ. Don't misunderstand what the purpose of the law was. The purpose of the law was to lead us to God through Jesus Christ. The purpose of the law was to point to Jesus. The purpose of the law was to say, hey, you can't do this on yourself. The purpose of the law was to help us see the standards of God. The purpose of the law was to help us see what his expectations of us are. The purpose of the law was to help to see that we are broken, sinful people without hope, without Jesus Christ. So, so here's the deal. Paul redirects them. And he says that righteousness is available, and the righteousness is available only by faith or belief in Jesus Christ. The word faith and the word belief show up at least four times in this text. Look at verse 30. At the end of verse 30, it says that there's a righteousness that's available that is by faith. Then at the beginning of verse 32, he says, why did the, the Jews not receive righteousness? Because they did not pursue it by faith. Then look down at verse 33, at the end of it. It says, whoever believes in him, meaning Jesus, they will not be put to shame. Then down in verse 4, for Christ is in the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. The word faith and the word believe is actually the same Greek word. And that's why I lumped them together. Faith and believe is the exact same Greek word. And so when it says believe in Jesus, it does not simply mean believe that he exists. Instead, believing in Jesus has to do with Faith in Jesus. Faith is assurance. It's complete trust. It's reliance upon. 
That's what belief is as well. Jesus is the means of righteousness. There is no other. We talked a moment ago about the purpose of the Lord's Supper and, and how it points us to the sacrifice that Jesus paid on our behalf. But if we say that we can only have righteousness by faith through Jesus Christ, then let me unpack that a bit for us. The Bible says that all of us, 100% of us are sinners, that all of us disobey God, all of us go our own way, all of us have our own selfish desires, all of us are pursuing our own thing, when in reality we should be pursuing God. It's not that we should pursue the law, but we should pursue God through Jesus Christ, but none of us are. That all of us are sinners, that the Bible says that the wages or what we earn for our sin is death, but the amazing good news is that the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Because the news is this, our sin does, uh, causes us to be separated from God for all eternity, beginning in the here and now and continuing into eternity. But the good news is that God sent his son that we might not be separated from him. And how is it that we might not be separated from him? How is it that we might experience his righteousness? How is it that we might be made right with God? Not our own efforts, not our own works, not our own pursuit of religion, but instead through Jesus Christ and him alone. The Bible says that we are sinners, that if we understand that we are sinners, if we turn to Jesus in faith, in trust, in belief, if we acknowledge that we are sinners in need of forgiveness of our sins, if we'll repent of our sins and turn to him, then through the blood of Jesus Christ, through his death, his burial, his resurrection, that we might experience eternal life. My question to you this morning is, what are you pursuing? Are you pursuing your own stuff? Are you pursuing religion or are you pursuing a relationship with Jesus Christ through his grace and forgiveness alone? I said a moment ago that we shouldn't be pursuing the law. So am I saying that we shouldn't obey the law? By no means is that what I'm saying. Rather, pursuing Christ causes us to then begin to want to pursue the law. Because whenever I experience the forgiveness through Jesus Christ, then obedience to the law will then follow. So here's what I want you to hear me say. What does it mean to pursue Jesus? Pursuing Jesus means that we acknowledge that salvation is only available through him, but we don't stop there. Rather, we continue to pursue Jesus through a lifelong process of what the Bible calls sanctification, where we're becoming more and more and more like Jesus. And through that process, there will be this aspect of seeking to obey the law, follow the law, and actually works after our salvation has been established. I also want to point us to the fact that part of pursuing Jesus through our life is a desire to tell others about Jesus. I said in this text, there's a lot of comments about pursuing things and zealousness for things and desire for things. I want you to hear Paul's words in a couple of places. Look back at chapter 9, verses 1 through 3, and then we're going to look down at chapter 10, verse 1. Paul is describing a passionate desire that his fellow Israelites would come to know Jesus. Listen to the passion in these verses. Romans 9, 1 through 3, he says, I am speaking the truth in Christ. I am not lying. My conscience bears me witness in the Holy Spirit. It says three times, guys, I'm really 
telling you the truth. He says, I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart, for I could wish that I myself were accursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. Do you hear his passion to share the gospel with those who don't yet know Jesus? Is that my passion? Is that your passion? Then in verse Chapter, chapter 10, verse 1, Brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them is that they may be saved. You see, our pursuit for Christ, of Christ, will involve pursuing others that they may come to know Jesus as well. Here at our church, we talk about being a disciple, making disciples, being the church to the glory of God. It's not enough for us to simply be a disciple, but instead, if we are a true disciple of Jesus, that gives us a desire to go out and point others to Jesus as well. I love what it says at the end of verse 4. It says, Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. Everyone who believes in Jesus can experience salvation. That means salvation is available to the Jew and the Gentile. It's available to the black and the white, the Republican, the Democrat, the Northerner, the Southerner, the Aggie, the Longhorn. It's available to everyone. Do we believe this? Do we go out and share the hope that we have in Christ that others would come to know him as well? All too often, our pursuit of our stuff, our things, our desires, a religious system a biblical knowledge of things, all of those are actually causing us to have a misdirected zeal where we're not seeing what our zeal should be, and our zeal should be a love for Jesus and a love for others. This morning I was reflecting on all of this, and I was praying in my office. And as a pastor... As I get ready to preach each Sunday, if I am not careful, my pursuit can take me to studying the Bible and going down all the rabbit trails and all the commentaries and all the understanding and all the Greek words and all the stuff. But my question is, when I study God's word, am I focused on the stuff or am I focused on him? My passion and pursuit should not be to be some kind of biblical scholar. My passion and pursuit should be a love for Jesus Christ. And the same should be the case for all of us. Are we pursuing our own stuff or are we pursuing Jesus Christ? I want you to take just a moment. I have five questions for you to ask yourself. And I'm going to use the word I so that you can personalize it as well. And here are the five questions. You may even want to jot some of these down. Do I have a zeal, number one? Do I have a zeal for God? Do I have a zeal for God? Not a zeal for things of God or things about God. Not a zeal for things about the church, but instead a true zeal for him personally. If I have a zeal for God, if I have a zeal for Jesus Christ, then that will give me a zeal for his word. If I have a zeal for God, if I have a zeal for Jesus Christ, it will give me a zeal and a passion for his church. But the starting point must be a zeal for God. My question is, do I have a zeal for God? Number two, do I know God? 
The only way to know God and be made right with him is by faith in Jesus Christ. And so my question is, have you trusted in Jesus and him alone for salvation? Not stuff, not things, not obeying laws, not religion, but do you know Jesus Christ? The third question is this, who or what am I most passionate about right now? Is it sports? Is it hobbies? Is it politics? Is it work? Is it family? Or is it Jesus? Who or what am I most passionate about right now? And if I'm passionate most about something or someone else besides Jesus, it's time to reprioritize my life. Number four, am I pursuing Christ daily? Some ways that we can pursue Christ daily is to read his word, to meditate on scripture, to memorize scripture, to pray to spend time in conversation with other believers where iron is sharpening iron. Am I pursuing Christ daily or do I have to blow the dust off? I used to say that all the time to my kids when I was a youth minister to get my Bible to go to church. Reality now, no, we don't have to blow the dust off. Just pick up the phone. I've got the phone with me. But am I spending time in pursuing Christ on a daily basis? Number five, this is the last one. Am I burdened to tell others about Jesus? Am I burdened to tell others about Jesus? You're like, I, I am, but I don't know how to do that. Here's a couple things I want to let you know. All you have to do is, uh, one, one thing you can do is get on YouTube, go to the Living Hope um, channel, and last week, David Hutton did a, 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 ch a church on purpose, and it was about the idea of sharing the gospel. That might be a way for you to kind of brush up a bit on how to share the gospel. Another way, an opportunity to share the gospel in your worship guide, there's some details about some things that SOS Ministries is doing. You could plug into some of the things they're doing this summer. But guys and gals, it is time for us to be passionate about Jesus. And if we're passionate about Jesus, then we should be passionate about sharing the hope of Jesus Christ with those around us. If he is our living hope, which he is, then we should have a desire to tell others about this living hope. I don't know what God has done this morning through the course of singing or praying or taking the Lord's Supper or reading God's Word, but I do want you to hear this. All of us are pursuing something or someone. Are we in pursuit for Jesus and for His glory and for His name to be advanced around the world? And if not, what do we need to clear out? What clutter do we need to get rid of? What confessions do we need to make? What repentance do we need to make? What trust aspect do we need to handle this morning in order for God to do his work in our life in such a way that we bring him glory? For he is deserving of all glory and we are not deserving of any. Let me pray for us. Father, we ask that you would be at work in us and through us this morning. That, God, you would do what only you can do. That, God, if there is sin, we need to confess that right now we would be able to do that. If there's a truth to the idea that we're so busy pursuing activities and things and, and fun, and even if it's not specifically point-blank sin, we're still pursuing things other than you and our hobbies and our families and our work and our money and our possession and our time is all focused on us and me and what I can get from it instead of focused on you. God, would you burden our hearts where we are not pursuing you? And at the same t time, God, I pray that you'd help us remember that we actually can't pursue you without the Holy Spirit working in our own lives. 
It's actually the Holy Spirit working in our lives that causes us to have the ability to pursue you. So, Father, I pray that your Holy Spirit would stir in our hearts right now in this moment and that we would say yes to you and say no to the other things that may be crowding you out. Father, redirect our zeal this morning so that our zeal is focused on you instead of on us. It's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. Would you stand with us?